You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. And just like that, we're back Thursday morning, March 4th, the year of our Lord, 2021. I'm Josh Pate. This is the Late Kick Extra podcast. Another apple has been consumed for reasons that were stated on the Tuesday morning pod. We are jam, jam, jam packed. I count, well, I count about seven dozen questions. I'm going to get to as many as possible this morning, but we got some really good ones. I could take today's questions and I could just stack them up tonight and I could recycle them into tonight's episode of Late Kick Live. And to be honest, I may lead with one of the questions that I'm kind of going to answer briefly this morning. So thank you so much for submitting. If you want to submit your questions, joshpate706 at gmail.com. That's the email address. On Twitter, at LateKickJosh. DMs are always open. I'm interacting with you guys constantly. But nothing quite like what we've got coming up next week. So remember, the Late Kick Lottery is open right now. Send those submissions to the email address, joshpate706 at gmail.com. We have decided we're taking somewhere between 10 and 20 of you, and we are sending you the Zoom invite, and you'll join me Monday night. We have nailed down the time. We're going to do 6 Central Time. So that gives everyone plenty of time to get home, hopefully Eastern Central Time Zone. If you're in Mountain Time Zone or on the West Coast, just skip work that day or get off early. That's my suggestion because we're going to divvy this up and we're going to kind of randomly select, but it also doesn't hurt for you to try and pitch yourself or sell yourself, reverse recruit yourself. So we are going to choose those and we're going to let you know by this weekend who is in. And this is not the last one of these we do. Every time we get over a thousand new followers on Twitter, I think we just passed 13,000. So the next time we'll do this is 14,000, 15, whatever. You really ultimately determine how often we do this. But that product, so if you're just listening or if you're just watching on the YouTube channel, that product will be available, I think we're going to aim for Wednesday on the YouTube channel. It will also be the Thursday morning edition of this that you're listening to right now. So next week's Late Kick Extra, it'll still be Q&A. You'll just hear your own voices interacting with me. And I also want to lay out the format and you'll get a sense of how it's rolling for those of you who are going to participate once we get into it. This is not meant to be just a wall-to-wall Q&A format. That's certainly how you can handle it. But I mean, if you want to go back and forth, if, if you feel like a topic needs to be debated, if you think I've been wrong on an issue for so long and you need to set me straight, that'll be the time to do it. So get those submissions in. Be on the lookout with that in mind. Let's dive in this morning because we have got some really good questions to get to. First one up is Kyle. He said, do you feel Clemson starting to fade a bit? Kyle, I do not feel that. I think the expectation level now at Clemson is so high that if they don't win a championship every year, they've kind of briefly gotten into that realm that Alabama's been in for a long time, where if they don't win it, then the articles the next morning, whenever they've been eliminated, tend to lean towards, what's wrong? Well, what's changed? Well, has Clemson lost their edge? No, they haven't. It's just really, really hard to win in this sport. Extremely hard. Now, here's what I do think's happening at Clemson, and I'm going to talk about this a lot more probably after spring. I think Clemson is entering the second chapter or the second phase of a dynasty mode in real life. In real life, a dynasty mode consists of multiple phases. The first phase is the getting there phase. The next phase is the staying there phase. Well, Clemson got there. I've spoken about this before, sort of with a different theme, but I've spoken about the fact that I wondered about Dabo Swinney's formula for getting there and if it translated to staying there. The reason I never have doubted Alabama is because I know what Nick Saban's formula is. I've listened to the guy talk forever now, and I listen to him constantly preach, 
process, 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 result-oriented thinking, attention to detail, and basically all that stuff's intrinsic. It doesn't rely on anything external. Nick Saban is never getting his guys up. Nick Saban is never fueling or motivating his program collectively with doubt or, or, or disrespect. It's never posters all over the walls about what someone said to you. If they use those elements, they're ancillary to the main focus. The main focus is process, do your job, and that kind of stuff never changes. But the good news about that is the formula never changes. The same stuff you used to get to the top helps you stay on top. Well, at Clemson, I've always wondered this, and now we're starting to get our first glimpses of whether it'll work or not. I've wondered, with as effective as the approach Dabo used was to get his program to the mountaintop, they've won two national championships, I wondered if it was going to work in terms of sustainability. And what I'm basically talking about is if you are telling me that folks doubt me and you're showing me bulletin board material and you're constantly informing me that I'm a, an underdog to Alabama or I'm thought to be an underdog to another program, well, that's great and it's easy to get me up. It's easy to get your program up. It's easy to get everyone invested when they think they have something to prove and it's them against the world. This was Clemson football's DNA. This was their identity. In the early portions of phase one of their dynasty, that was the DNA. I mean, that was the model. That was the mold for the program. And that's all well and good. The reason I have questions is that doesn't work. And when you get to the mountaintop, it only works getting to the mountaintop. But then when you get there and no one doubts you anymore, and you go back to that reservoir where all that endless supply of fuel has been, it's empty. And you try and get guys up and it's empty. Well, what do you do now? And so this is phase two for Clemson. I'm not saying they're incapable of figuring it out. In fact, the opposite. I think they're going to be here for a long time. But Kyle asked, do you think they're fading? No, they're not fading. What they're doing is they're sort of reinventing a little bit by necessity now. And I think it's a lesson maybe that I'm not going to say had to be learned the hard way because winning two titles is no hard way to learn a lesson. But I will also say in his heart of hearts, I think Dabo Swinney realizes we got to reinvent the culture here a little bit, not the principles, not the overarching principles, not the kind of kid we recruit, not the way we coach him, nothing like that. But the way that we motivate, the way that we mentally wire ourselves, the way that we define our day-to-day, -day, that probably needs to change a little bit because we cannot rely on doubt anymore. And for the record, those of you who have done Zoom consultations with me know this to be true. I say the exact same thing to you if you're starting a podcast. If you're going to work for Fox Sports or CBS Sports tomorrow, you're going to start off at the bottom of a totem pole. You're going to have a lot of people in your field that are more well-versed, that have bigger followings, and that's great. And it, it kind of is human nature to measure yourself to other people and to look at whatever the standard bearers in the industry are. Could be the same in sales. There's a top salesman in your market. You're gunning for him. You're gunning for her. Well, that works to get you there. Then when you get there, guess what happens? Everyone's looking at you. And when you look up, all you see is the ceiling and your head's pressed against it. You put that ceiling on yourself. And you did it the moment you allowed external factors to motivate you. You did it the moment you allowed someone else's accomplishments to be your scale for what your success is. Once I achieve more than them, then I'll be successful. No, once you achieve maximum to your relative potential, you'll be successful. What if you were capable of 30% more than whatever the next best person in your industry was, but you stopped 30% short or 29% short just because you achieved more than them? Makes no sense. Same way in college football, same way in life. All these principles apply very broadly, which is one of the many beautiful things about sports. Next up, we're going all the way to the West Coast. This is another Kyle, totally different Kyle. He said, what happened to Clay Helton hot seat talk? It seems like it went away, but yet USC is by no means back. This is a really good question, Kyle. It's also going to be something we discuss a lot kind of in the post-spring 
lead up to fall camp period. Clay Helton and USC, what were you thinking about them, let's say, going into 2020 when we thought we were going to have a normal season? So this time last year, what were you thinking about USC? Well, everyone thought Clay Helton was a dead man walking. They kind of thought that the year before, too. What happened? Well, what happened was the pandemic. And then also what happened is everything got thrown for a loop. And then we got that narrative thrown in the fold of no one's going to get fired this year. Now, that ended up not being totally true. Ask the East Coast USC about that. But at USC, what happened was they didn't play a whole season. And then when they did play a season, they started narrowly winning some games that you could argue they should have lost. I don't really use that terminology because if you should have, you would have. But nevertheless, they in very unimpressive fashion won some games early on. And then all of a sudden they found themselves in the Pac-12 championship game and you get to the end of the season and you can't fire someone. You can't fire a guy. I mean, unless you have cause, you're not going to fire him for results when he played for a Pac-12 title. So now where are we, Kyle? Well, we're another year further down the road of inevitability. Like there are a lot of people who will still tell you, oh, Clay Helton's a dead man walking. Well, yeah, let me tell you something. Dead men walking don't normally make it three seasons in a row being dead men walking. So I don't know that that's where we are right now. Here's the way I look at USC. I look at USC the same way as like if I were, I've been using sailing references lately, which makes no sense because I've never been one in my life. But if I'm out and like my boat springs a leak and I'm a mile from shore and I think to myself, man, if, if we were if we were only a quarter mile away, we could make it. Or if only I had a little bit more to patch this hole, we could make it to shore, but we don't. So, oh, well, we'll just resign ourselves to sinking out here. And then we're going to have to float around in life jackets until someone comes and gets us. Well, that's kind of the way USC felt, but here's the difference. Then all of a sudden, Clay Helton gets a reprieve, and all of a sudden, someone pushed the shore closer, or maybe they stopped the flow of water into the boat, and all of a sudden, Clay Helton looks around and says, well, wait a second, hey, maybe we could do this, like, maybe we could survive out here, all right, let's keep bailing water, let's keep bailing water, well, what they've done is, they've gotten themselves another year, which buys you another opportunity to make some staff changes, it buys you another opportunity to make maybe off-field personnel moves. It, it gives you another opportunity to recruit, and they just did it. They just signed a very, very good class. They finally landed the number one player in the state in Corey Foreman. So I, you look at USC. If you're a person, if you're a Trojan fan who has wanted the Clay Helton era to end, this is, this is not good for you. Now, I know some may listen, especially a casual college fan may listen and say, wait a second, what do you mean it's not good for you? I mean, if you're a USC fan, you want what's best for the program. And if Clay Helton's winning or if they're improving, then that's good for the program, right? Well, you, you got to understand the mentality here. A USC fan thinks there's no reason they're not Alabama or, or Clemson or Ohio State right now. And they're right, by the way. And so they're not there. And what they think is they think Clay Helton's maximum potential is well below that of Nick Saban or Dabo Swinney or Ryan Day. And so they look at it and they say, no, even if this man succeeds, if he succeeds as good as he possibly can, we are going to come up short. We're going to be about a six and a half or a seven on the one to 10 scale where we need to be a nine and a half or a 10. And so they think we might as well just rip the Band-Aid off now. But every year we get further down the road. And every time this guy gets a chance to recruit another class and add another coach, then we may find ourselves well on the way to another eight or nine win season. And while those would be good for some of the lower tier programs in our conference, it's not good enough for USC. So that's where their mentality is. But I think right now, Kyle, what's happening is another year has been bought and we'll see what they do with it. I've got a friend from back home. We're transitioning here. I got a friend from back home who shall remain nameless. He just said, tell these folks about the Thanksgiving Classic. And it occurred to me, I've never told you about the Thanksgiving Classic. So I had a question a couple of podcasts ago about favorite like pickup sports to play. And a lot of you said softball. A lot of you said seven on seven football. So let me tell you a little story. I know it's not uncommon for people to play pickup football games after Thanksgiving or the day of Thanksgiving. 
But I just want to tell you, it's very uncommon for you to have ever taken it nearly as seriously as we did in Harris County, Georgia. So here's what we did. Over the course of about an eight to 10 year period, we grew and evolved a game known as the Thanksgiving Classic. And here's what happened. We, it was the day after Thanksgiving. We would have captains for teams. We would recruit. And it was eight on eight football. We made our own rules. They kind of went along with what eight man normally would be. We had three down linemen. Uh, we had one blitz per four downs. We had a different first down set of rules than just every 10 yards. It was kind of fascinating. I'm not going to explain it here. Uh, we played on a 60-yard field. We played three-quarters width of the field instead of the full 53 yards. And so what we would do is we would recruit, and then we would totally go into game preparation mode. I'm talking about like a month or two months ahead of the game. We would go into game preparation mode. This was full tackle. It was full contact, not a pad to be found. And over the course of that 10 years, we had a lot of people playing in that game that had no business playing in that game. I still won't give you the names, but I can tell you we had one day out there. We had one game out there where we had a linebacker for Georgia. We had a starting ACC quarterback. We had a guy who went on to play linebacker for an AFC team. And so that's the kind of folks that were out there. They had no business being out there. Violating contracts, violating scholarships. That's why we got to keep them nameless. But anyway, so we would play and we would record it. We had our own playbooks. We had everything. I cannot explain to you in strong enough terms how seriously we took this game. We would wake up. Keep in mind, it's the day after Thanksgiving, so it's Black Friday. We would wake up at 6 a.m. because we have a 10 a.m. kickoff. We would wake up at 6 a.m. We would all meet at IHOP in North Columbus, and we would all be wearing matching white or black, depending on which team you were on that year. We would basically do a pregame meal, just like you would if you were playing a much more consequential game. And then we would all caravan up to Harris County High School, and that's where we would play the actual game. Uh, extremely serious. Tensions were high. Several fights. And then at the very end, and pay attention because this is where it gets really important, the winning team would hoist the chalice of supremacy. Because when your father runs a trophy shop, all pro materials in Columbus, Georgia, by the way, hit them up. When your father owns a trophy shop, you can get any award you want made. And you can get anything you want engraved on it. And so we didn't want a normal award. We didn't want a normal trophy. I went and I looked in the catalog that he orders from, and we found the biggest silver cup-looking thing that we could, and we mounted it on a two-tier trophy, and we carved Thanksgiving Classic Chalice of Supremacy. And the tradition was, even though it tasted like a battery, we would pour water in the top of the chalice, and then we would take pictures with each person taking a sip of water out of the Chalice of Supremacy. And not to overstate things too much this morning, but being a 10-time Chalice of Supremacy winner, it may be the biggest accomplishment of my life. And it also warms my heart to know that several members of the teams that we victimized during that decade of dominance listen regularly to this podcast. So it hurt you guys a lot more than it hurt me. Let me say that. Let's move on here. A uh, question from Jeremy. If you ran ESPN and you own the college football playoff contract, what would the perfect four-team playoff field be? Jeremy, this one was pretty easy, but I think you could also substitute some teams here. So I would go Alabama, Texas, USC, and Ohio State in no particular order. I don't really care about the seeding there. I guess I would probably like Texas, Ohio State in the semifinal and Bama, USC. So I could get a, I could get a South versus West Coast, and I could get a Texas's back versus the Midwest. I'm getting all the major TV markets in there. I'm getting all the regions in there. Now, you could also very easily substitute a Notre Dame or a Michigan for Ohio State. In fact, it may end up being better if we had Michigan over Ohio State because then there's no risk of alienating anyone who's just tired of watching Ohio State dominance. 
So, and I'd still get Ohio State fans watching because you despise Michigan and you guys are hardcore fans anyway, so you're just going to watch the playoff. For Alabama, I'm not really crazy about substituting another Southern team for Alabama only because no one else down here has Nick Saban. But if I did put Georgia in over Alabama, I would still maybe to a 75 or 80% degree accomplish what I'm wanting to, having the most dominant conference represented. Texas is a no-brainer. Texas, number one, it takes care of the entire We Want Texas to Be Back ecosystem. It's a huge fan base. It's a huge brand. It gets a new brand to the table that hasn't been there in over a decade now. And then, like I said, with USC, it's just the biggest market. It's the biggest program on the West Coast. Also in this mix, I have two teams that have been in the mix pretty regularly in Alabama, Ohio State. Alabama's been dominating the sport, but I think you need the Goliath in the playoff because then you have two teams that are totally new to the picture in Texas, USC. Ohio State has not slayed that dragon yet. And so you got three teams gunning for that giant, that Goliath. Also, two of them are brand new to the party. So the crowd that cares about storylines more than football, and then the crowd that also is able to very skillfully intersect and intertwine storylines into football and really good coverage of the sport, this is uh, nirvana for them. This is something, this is a buildup that you would like to last three months instead of just the requisite three weeks that it normally does. Or this past this past year, we only had a two-week buildup, so it was like a bye week essentially, and then it was time to go play. But this is one I'll be very interested to hear from you on. In fact, you know what? Hit me up on Twitter, at LateKickJosh. What, what would be, I'll put this out. I'll put this out as a poll as soon as I get done recording this. And so we can go ahead and get that conversation started. If you ran ESPN, if you own the college football playoff, you got skin in the game, what is your perfect four-team playoff field? Next up is Michelle, and she calls me out. And believe it or not, it's warranted. And so I need to take a break, take a deep breath, and we will address Michelle's beef, which again, <laughs> turned out to be valid right after this. Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So Michelle pulls out the ruler this morning and brings it down squarely across my wrist and says, I couldn't quite get where you were going the other night on your live show when you talked about how a team could become a tier one program by using the transfer portal. Could you please restate your point? And so I thought, Michelle, you know, that's kind of mean thing to say. Then I went back and listened. And once I was done listening, I said, you know, Michelle, you're kind of right there. That's the price you pay sometimes, Michelle, for doing live anything. Sometimes you just don't get a redo and it comes out of your mouth. And I thought I had really articulated that point well. I mean, I walked out of that studio, number one, just glad we could get on air because we had an hour's delay, which I will circle back around to in a second because you guys deserve another very, very loud round of applause. But secondly, I walked out thinking, hey, I, I stated that pretty well. You know, Director Collins said, good show. I think he was just ready to get home. So was I. But I went back and listened. And yeah, I didn't really nail it like I wanted to. That's Again, that's the price you pay sometimes when you do it live. And 
You get no redos. There's no safety net. We do our shows live because it petrifies most people, but I became addicted to it when I was doing radio and TV. And when I started the pre-recorded life, I hated it because you would try and touch up everything. And there's no, uh, there's no subconscious adrenaline rush like knowing you have to nail it the first time. So I love doing it live. I don't do it any other way. I, these podcasts, I wish we did these live. And so when, um, when I went back and listened, here's what I missed, Michelle. Here's what I was trying to say. I think the transfer portal is not going to take any current tier one programs and remove them. So I don't think Alabama or Clemson or Ohio State or Oklahoma, like I don't think they're going to be victimized by the transfer portal. They may have a net benefit, but I think some of these early fears about, oh, since they're the most loaded rosters and all these kids can't get playing time, now they're all going to leave after spring practice of their freshman year. There may be some anecdotal exceptions to this, but I think that's largely an overblown concern. But here's where I do think it could impact the sport. If you take the tier two programs, so those are your Oregons or your Texas A&Ms, where I think we still see the most separation on average between good tier two teams and truly elite tier one teams is in attrition. And that's not to mean the tier one programs don't lose players. But when you come into a season as a tier two team, if you have lost, for instance, three wide receivers, or if you have lost two interior defensive linemen, on average, you're going to have a glaring at least question, if not early season weakness at those positions. Whereas the tier one programs, they have truly ascended to that reload instead of rebuild mode. And what that basically means is their true freshmen are so good and they're recruiting at such a level or they have stacked so much depth through, through recruiting that they don't have to worry about those problems quite like you do. They're not immune from it, but on average, they don't have to worry about it. Well, how do you address that? Well, if you, you can either recruit at a top three level, and that's the one way you can fix it, at which point you're about to ascend to tier one status. But the other way is let's say you're still recruiting good. You're still recruiting in the five to 10 range, but you're still not quite on the level of a program that recruits top two or three every year. It's really hard to get there. And so you still have those roster holes and those not glaring weaknesses, but noticeable deficiencies on a couple of depth positions and spots on your roster going into a season. Well, here's what you can do. If you master the transfer portal, then you can supplement basically what you don't get from elite recruiting. If you're not in the top three, but you're in the top five to 10, you got a good roster. But if you still have, oh man, we lost the right side of our offensive line. So we're going to have some inexperience there. And our inexperience usually equals some less than stellar play early on in the season. And so how do we fix that? Well, I think there's going to be one or two programs out there that end up mastering this transfer portal thing to such a degree that they largely supplement what they aren't getting from elite recruiting with the transfer portal. So they're good at recruiting. They already got a good roster, but then if they need to supplement, they go to the transfer portal and they figure out such an effective way to do it that they are not in the same position normal tier two teams are when it comes to roster attrition and therefore deficiency. I think they're going to be able to plug their holes through the transfer portal. Now, I don't know who's going to do this, I think Oklahoma is a very, very, very early example of a program that's doing it. And Oklahoma is already, to me, a tier one team anyway. Although if you were going to do sub tiers in tier one, Oklahoma is not Alabama yet. Oklahoma is not Clemson yet. I think they're very close, very comparable, but they're not quite there yet. But if you were to make them like, uh, let's say, tier one B, well, the way that they are competing and comparing now with the big boys is they're recruiting very well. They're recruiting top 10. But look at what they just did in the transfer portal. They just went and got all these dudes from Tennessee. It seems like they raided Tennessee. 
But they effectively did this. I think Miami, for reasons I've told you, will be in a position to effectively do this. So, Michelle, that's what I meant. What I simply meant was I think there are going to be a couple of tier two programs, maybe one, maybe two, that supplement the fact that they aren't top three perennially in recruiting with the transfer portal. And they end up with a net result that is the same on-field product as tier one programs are able to achieve through their superior high school recruiting and therefore roster depth. Let's hit JT's question here. I accidentally skipped over it, but he didn't need to know that. So I don't know why I brought that up. You would never have been the wiser. But nevertheless, JT asks, hey, what's your favorite pregame song? And this is a good question because this answer has a story tied to it. So back in the day, this would have been mm, somewhere mid to late 90s. I was a kid. I was like in peewee age, coach pitch, baseball age. I got to go to a playoff game. We, we knew some people in Carrollton, Georgia. So the Carrollton Trojans are in the playoffs. And we got to go up there. And again, I'm, I'm single digits young. I'm like eight, seven years old. And we got to go in the Carrollton Trojans locker room before a playoff game. Now, obviously, little seven-year-old JP, I've never experienced anything like that. I've never been around high school or college competition at all, any kind of athletics. And I, so I was exposed to a new world. Well, when I was in the locker room, there was a lot of intensity, obviously. I mean, it's a football locker room. It's a high school football locker room before a state playoff game. But then, so I listened to a coach give a pregame, and I am looking at position coaches do their thing. I'm hearing a lot of words I've never heard before. But then they go into about 10 minutes before take the field mode, and everything goes quiet. I'm just observing, hiding and observing. And all of a sudden, there's this song that starts being played throughout the entire locker room. And the song was In the Air Tonight by Phil Collins. Now, I had heard In the Air Tonight before. I had been to the dentist office. I had sat in the waiting room lobby with my mom. I had ridden around in her Honda on the way to school. I had listened to Sunny 100 in Columbus, Georgia, but I had never heard that song in that setting. I was unfamiliar with the concept of a hype song or a pregame song or anything like that, period. I knew the tomahawk chop for the Atlanta Braves, and that's about the only musical theme that I attributed to any kind of sporting event. And so when I experienced that, it never left me. I still remember it to this day. It's one of my favorite sports memories of all time. I'm pretty sure I've never shared that story here. But being in the Carrollton Trojans locker room circa mid to late 90s and listening to Phil Collins in the air tonight, that became then and still is today my favorite pregame song. Let's go to Andy. He says, now that the data and analytics job market has become full in college sports, what do you think is the next thing to explode? Andy, I don't think it's full. Quite the opposite. I still think the data and analytics job industry in college sports is wide open. In fact, last night, I was talking to someone with a major Power 5 program, let's say, in college basketball. And they're gearing up for conference tournaments and March Madness and stuff like that. But I was talking to this person, and I was asking a lot of questions. And I found out that this is a one-man department. And this is not uncommon at all. This is major like power five level college basketball programs operating with a personnel department of one in their data and analytics field. Some programs have taken it really seriously. It's like at the NBA level, Golden State famously got way ahead of the curve here. Whereas there are some organizations that only have one person, like apparently the LA Clippers are well behind the curve on this. Well, in college sports, the gulf is even wider. There are some programs that have gotten way ahead of the curve in football, basketball, fill in the blank, when it comes to data and analytics. There are some programs that are petrified to even dip their toe in the water. But here's what they all realize. They all realize they can't give up a competitive edge to their rivals. 
And so even if they don't want to do it, even if they don't want to get in that field because they don't understand it or speak the language begrudgingly, they have to go down that road because otherwise when they peer in the curtain of their neighbor and they see them hard at work in there with a 10-person team of data analysts, they don't want to they don't want to fall behind. So what happens right now is you got a lot of folks out there hiring data and analytics types that do not know about the world of data and analytics. So here's what you have to do, Andy. You you have to know your craft, absolutely. But forget about your charts. Forget about all your algorithms. Forget about speaking what might as well be Mandarin Chinese to these people. You need to be able to sum up in two or three sentences why you have something they need. That's it. And that's all. And you need to pitch yourself to as many people as possible. Because I was talking to this person and I told them, you could be in a position where your value skyrockets over the span of two or three weeks. Like if your team, for instance, If you guys were to go on a run in the conference tournament or you get in the NCAAs and you go on a run, all of a sudden everyone looks at you like a dead carcass, your program that is, and everyone wants to pick every bit of meat off the bone they can because they want what you have. And it's what happened to LSU in football in 2019. A bunch of people came calling for a bunch of different aspects of that program because everyone looked at that LSU 2019 model and said, that's what we want our program to be. And so everything from the offensive coordinator to the video production team got poached by the Carolina Panthers, USC, everywhere in between. And so that's what happens sometimes in the data and analytics world too. You get yourself in the right position, and then when the right time happens, you capitalize on it. And you market yourself shamelessly, respectfully, but you don't hold back. And you get your name out there to as many people as possible, and you're going to get in front of someone eventually. And they may not know how to so much as spell analytics, but they know they got the budget for it, they got the head organizationally open for it, and they want to fill it. And you got to be able to tell them really quickly, two or three sentences, here's why you need me. Then if they want to hear more and they want to see all those fancy graphs and presentations, well, then you can give it to them. But that, Andy, is really what it comes down to. And so I'm telling you, if that is the field you're interested in, data and analytics, you don't need to move on. You need to stay right there. If that's your wheelhouse, stay right there. This is the infancy still of this era in college sports instead of the prime years, instead of the golden age. This is still the infancy. And and there's a lot of phasing for this, too. I was talking about Clemson earlier and how there was phase one and phase two of their dynasty. When it comes to digital, or rather when it comes to data and analytics in the world of college football and especially college baseball or basketball, we're still in the infancy. There are major, major power five programs out there that have not even delved into it yet. They have zero paid data analyst positions in their athletic departments. Zero. Does that sound like the market has saturated itself? I don't think so, Andy. So you're good, man. Don't worry about that. You are good. Let's wrap it up with Roger this morning. He said, do you buy Dan Mullen when he says he never talked to any NFL teams even after all those rumors? Well, technically, yeah, I, Roger, I do buy that he, Dan Mullen, didn't talk to any NFL teams. I do not buy that he didn't attempt to. Uh, Certainly, he and his representation, well, let me say this. I would bet a lot of money that he and his representation got his name out there as much as they possibly could whether the NFL was interested, that is a variable that he didn't control. So I don't know how he's presented it down there. I'm going to talk a little bit more about this tonight and probably do a lot more reading on it today. Dan Mullen operated last year pretty much the entire season, to me, like a guy who was a senior in high school. And he was trying to win, but also he didn't think he'd be back next year. I think he fully believed, I'm headed to the NFL after this year. And so he acted just goofy at times, and he acted nonchalant or carefree at other points. Where he was serious was he was serious between the lines, 
and he was serious when calling plays and trying to win football games. But outside of that, like being a model representative of the university, trying to take recruiting to the next level, representing the, the Florida Gator brand the way it should be represented, nah, he was checked out on that. And so here's the big hangup, I think, for Dan Mullen in Florida. What was supposed to be their huge year last year, there were so many juxtapositions. Like you would think if I told you, hey, you're going to win the East and beat Georgia. Well, we're going to be good, right? And you're going to play in the SEC title game. We're going to be good, right? I mean, at the very least, even if we lose in Atlanta, we still will have accomplished so much. Well, they were a four-loss team. So how did that compute? You go into the season, and I tell you two things are true. Well, four things. You're going to beat Georgia. You're going to win the East. You're going to go to Atlanta and be within a possession, at least, of Alabama. But yet you're also going to lose to LSU as a 24-point favorite, thus completely torpedoing any shot you have at the playoff. And then you're going to show up so ill-prepared to play Oklahoma, your head coach afterwards is going to say, well, this wasn't our real team. You're also going to have a player throw a shoe at one of the most pivotal moments of the season and cost yourself a chance to win a game. Oh, and by the way, you're going to have a coach do very little, if nothing at all, to diffuse an ugly situation at midfield against Missouri. But it's okay because he's going to dress as Darth Vader for a post-game interview. All these things happened. This is not from a fairy tale. This really occurred. All in one season, by the way. That's not a decade I just described. That's one season. So yeah, I'm going to talk about that a lot more tonight. That's a good question, though, as were a lot of these this morning. So I got to get going because we've got a busy day today. Among other things, i got to get Late Kick Live ready for tonight. So looking forward to that. Remember, uh, give us five-star reviews here on the Apple Podcast side of things. Really helps us if you give us some traction over on Spotify, too. I don't know. It changes day-to-day where where they want us to promote what and when. So hey, just just follow us everywhere you can. And also subscribe to the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel. That's where you'll find us tonight. And remember to get those submissions in for the Late Kick Lottery. A lot of branding this morning. Woof. Talk about shameless. But we will be drawing that this weekend. So got some time still to get those names in. And that'll be a really, really fun event next week that I hope we can duplicate several times over. Uh, At Late Kick Josh on Twitter, by the way, is the way that we keep that going. So thank you so much for listening. For Producer Jordan, I am Josh Pate. Have a great rest of your day. We'll see you later tonight on the 24-7 Sports YouTube channel for Late Kick Live. Until then, God bless. You can now relive the best moments of the UEFA Champions League 24-7. The UEFA Champions League channel is a new 24-hour streaming channel serving non-stop goals, highlights, and full match replays from the world's most prestigious club competition. Reminisce on your favorite moments, legendary players, and brilliant goals with the UEFA Champions League channel, streaming around the clock on Pluto TV and the CBS Sports app.